0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 with Pastor John King. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Much better? Good Wore out? I'm going to try not to wear you out with the Word of God. Well, folks, we're, gonna, we're, we're about to wrap up our study in Galatians. This is going to be our second-to-last study in Galatians. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, turn with me, if you will. We're going to be in chapter 6 today, verses 1 through 10. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. While you're turning there, uh, just a quick recap from last week. We learned about liberty and responsibility in freedom. You know, Liberty is not just so we can live as we please, responsible freedom, and that was contrasted with what can happen when we don't live responsible, and that's basically self-destruction, whether it's your own life, your own faith in the Lord, you know, kind of shipwrecked, backslidden, or even with a church, where we said a church can turn inward and start to sort of cannibalize one another. So the, the antidote, of course, is to walk in the Spirit. That's a new way of life, to overcome the battle within. And we talked quite a bit about that last week. We were also presented with a description of the works of the flesh. You know, the big long sin list. I think there were 15 items on there. And this is what life apart from the Spirit of God looks like. And you can see that if you look back in chapter 5. But we also saw... The amazing thing about our life in Christ, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, it was provided by God for each and every believer, and we learned that no amount of law-keeping can produce the fruit of the Spirit. Well, today, as we begin to wrap up our discussion or Paul's letter to the Galatians, we're going to go and we're going to talk about the law of Christ. This is something you don't normally hear in the Bible, it's only used in a few places. The law of Christ, and we're going to talk about that. Basically, that equals love. The law of Christ equals love, and we're going to see that. We're also going to talk a little bit about our relationship with teachers of the Word. You know, as, as those, uh, you know, and all of us pastors as well, we all need to be fed the Word of God. And so our relationship with there is important, and Paul highlights that. And then we're going to finally, we're going to conclude with the law of the harvest, you know, what you sow is what you reap. If, uh, if Walter plants a crop of corn, then corn's going to come up in that field. Okay, so whatever you plant in your spiritual life, if you reap to your spiritual life, you'll see a harvest. However, if you reap to your flesh and your own selfishness, well, you'll reap another harvest. And we're going to talk about that. So let's read our passage. He starts in, in uh, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, brethren. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Today's message has lots of application. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing... Well, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Verse 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Heavenly Father, uh, once again, you know, Lord, we're in your we're in this place together, uh, together as a congregation. We've come to be fed your word. We've come to worship. We've come to encourage one another. And Lord, as you continue to occupy in our presence, to be among us, Lord, would you please open up our our hearts and our minds to a deeper understanding of your word, and may we bear fruit in our lives as we seek to sow. In spiritual things. We prayed this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, we start off uh, with Paul uh, talking about the law of Christ, which is love. The law of Christ, which is love. In order to illustrate the principle of the law of Christ, Paul now provides the Galatians and you and I with a very, I will say, authentic example. You know, he's going to give us a hypothetical situation, but we can, we can certainly see it as an authentic example of how to exercise the law of love in the Christian walk. So he starts out in verse 1. He says, brethren, you know, it's always good to hear that. Brethren, or, you know, he considers them to be brothers and sisters in Christ. If, and he's giving in a hypothetical situation, a man is overtaken... In any trespass. Now, notice he says to the church, he talks about a man. Now, we're going to see that this man is a fellow believer, but he's referring to him as a man um, perhaps because he understands the aspect of our nature and our carnal self. We talked about the war between the flesh and the spirit last, last week. And so just like the rest of us, we're all tempted. We have desires, we have passions, and you know what? We all walk in the flesh. The, the war that goes on, uh, you know, is, is because we still walk in the flesh. Our sins are forgiven, we have a home in heaven, our future bodies will be, you know, actual physical bodies will be resurrected, but while we're walking on this earth, uh, we said last week, welcome to the war, if you're a Christian. Because there's a war within us. And so he's referring to a man. He says if he's overtaken. Now, to be overtaken, you know what that means. It's to be caught off guard. It's in contrast. Now we're talking about a person who has fallen into sin. But it contrasts what we talked about last week. The premeditated sins. The life of sin that a person can pursue apart from the Spirit. Here we're getting very real about the fact that Christians still do fall into sin on occasion. And they become overtaken. It's not necessarily a habitual sin. It may be something that that person has struggled with. It says if he's overtaken in any trespass, this is peritoma. King James Version says a fault, which is, it's a sin. It's a, uh, a nice way to put it. It's a lapse or deviation from truth and uprightness. It's a sin or a misdeed, according to the Blue Letter Bible Dictionary. So this example concerns a man who has been tempted by sin and allowed his carnal nature to put him in a place of shame where everybody can see it. It's obvious. But it's also not only observed by others, but it's acknowledged by him. Or her. It's not like a secret sin that we're trying to keep out of the, you know, people from seeing it. It's it's with perhaps a heart of repentance. And so he says he gives us a practical application. What what happens? And you know, there's a number of scenarios I could bring forward. Um if you happen to walk into my office one day and you happen to see that I'm looking at some stuff that's not appropriate on the internet. Perhaps even worse, okay? Well, I've, you know, I've allowed my flesh to give in. You have every right and should, in gentleness, we're going to talk about that, confront me on that. Okay, you know, these are kind of examples. And that's, that's a modern example of what happens and it's often made known through uh, marital relations. You know, the wife says, hey, the husband's viewing porn. Catches them, or or opposite. Okay, so those are the kind of things, um, you know. And and again, I don't want to get you know go too crazy with this, but I'm trying to make the point that it becomes apparent to more than the person that they're in sin. So what do you do? What do you do about that? Do you uh, get on the internet, or go go home and get on the phone, or do you find a brother or sister that you can gossip about it with? Is that the right thing to do when we confront one another? Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. You who are spiritual, that means a person who is filled with and governed by the Spirit of God. And some would say maybe a mature person in the body. But, you know, it's all of us. We should be growing. We should continually be maturing in our walk. But it says to restore this man who is a fellow believer. Now, we're we're talking about a fellow believer who is at least willing to be repentant or at least acknowledge the situation. There's a different scenario when somebody says, Nah, I'm good. I'm a Christian. Don't tell me how to live my life. That requires church discipline. That's a different story. We're not talking about that today. So he says to restore. Now, the word restore is to mend. You know, it, it's it's similar to, um, you know, having a broken limb, a broken arm, or a broken bone. And the tense about restore, meaning uh, it's a continuous present tense, the Greek word, it's suggesting the necessity for, listen to me, patience and perseverance in the process. Just because you and I discover, you know, we start to, speak into somebody's life to help restore them. You need to be patient. You don't give up on the person because you know, they're, they're, they're not instantly changed. And a lot of times, you know, this is way too uncomfortable for most of us to do. You, go, you send them to the pastor, or you send them to the assistant pastor, or one of the church officers, whatever. But folks, uh, if, if we're going to mature in Christ, we're all going to encounter it. And oftentimes, parents, you already know what I'm talking about. You already know what I'm talking about. Because as parents, you, you see this happen with your children. And you have to restore them with gentleness. <clears throat> this restore, it, think about it this way. When a person slips or trips or falls, the result can be very debilitating, right? You can, have a, you can end up with a, a broken arm or a broken leg or a dislocated shoulder. When a first responder responds to an auto accident or a fall or somebody's hurt themselves, they treat that person with care. They're very gentle with a person, especially if they have a spinal injury before they put them on the board to get them into the, into the ambulance. And that's how we need to be. If we encounter this situation, gentle, somebody you know, by their sin, they're sort of dislocated, if you will, from the body of Christ. And so he says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The manner that you use, gentleness. We spoke of the fruit of the Spirit last week. That's gentleness. Not begrudgingly. Not like, okay, let me tell you something. No. We're, lo- we're here to love one another this is an aspect of the fruit of the spirit and at the same time if you're in this situation consider yourself paul writes consider yourself lest you be tempted also now to consider yourself that's uh, scopeo. to scope i love this word because it says to scope out you know i'm scoping it out to look at or to watch yourself to look at yourself why because you could also be tempted Tempted to what? Uh, Morris writes, being tempted may mean being tempted to do the same sin. So you have to be mindful there. But more probably being tempted to see oneself as superior. As though you're holier than thou. Holier than thou. That's an old saying. I don't hear it much. It's what the church, that's what I used to refer to Christians as. Whew. Lord help me. 1 Corinthians 10.12 Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed. Why? Lest he fall as well. So a spirit of gentleness considering yourself. But again, you have to realize Paul's emphasis here. The restoration is not condemnation. Okay? Because restoration is always the goal when you're dealing with members of the body of Christ. It must be, it has to be spirit-led. Because some sins are ugly and terrible. And we will, fo- we will concentrate on the evil that it is if we're not being led by the Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about an illegal act. An illegal act that requires that you bring authorities and get them involved. Things uh, that I think you understand. An illegal act is not something we're talking about. We're not going to condone a harm or, or a abuse of others, of all age groups. So let's be sure about that. Let's be very clear about that. But there is a right way and a wrong way to help a fallen brother or sister. We need to operate in love, not by shaming and condemnation, you, you know this saying, you've heard it, with friends like you, who needs enemies? And that should be something that we take to heart here in the body of Christ. In verse 2, we come into now an even deeper understanding of what we're talking about, more practical, if you will. He says, to bear one another's burdens. Now, to bear a burden means simply to take up or carry something. And again, in the Greek tense, this is something that's continuous. It's not a one-and-done thing. Oftentimes, when we carry another's burdens, it could be for a season. Who knows how long. If you're willing to walk with somebody through a trial, through a season of restoration, you need to be ready to be, again, like we said, patient. Now we tend in our society just kind of we don't I didn't need you know I didn't see that I didn't hear that sweep it under the rug I'm too busy I'm too busy to get involved in somebody else's life The risk of me getting involved in somebody else's life not only impinges on my time but sets me up It can be risky But he says bear one another's burdens this heaviness or weight or trouble. And in this case, it's the heaviness and the moral faults of another, acknowledged. And he says, and so fulfill to complete the law of Christ. To complete something or to fulfill something is to fill up adequately. So, You know, we're never going to be perfect uh, in our attempts to help another brother or sister. But our goal is to fulfill the law of Christ, to see them through a rough time, a rough season, if you will. And this is a result of the fact that you have gained uh, trust with the person. You have a relationship with them. They know that they're safe with you. And they know that you love them. The law of Christ means the moral instruction to love which was the first fruit of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last night. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. That that aspect came first. And it's expressed in our service to others. He warns us in verse 3. He says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, the high horse mentality, you know, the horse you come strutting in on, especially when somebody's down, Thinks himself, this self-opinion, thinks himself to be something. In other words, too good. This is, a, this is an extreme. You know, this, is, this is an extreme situation. Too good to serve others. But Paul's, it, obviously, it's not, maybe not so rare. Maybe it's quite common that Paul and the Holy Spirit is reminding us of that. So if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's actually nothing when he's actually nothing. He's talking about the impossibility before God of thinking that you're above others. You and I, when we think we're above others. It's an improper view of yourself in relation to God and others. And so a lot of it has to do with our attitude. Are we prepared? You know, maybe the Lord won't put you or I in those situations because he knows you're going to blow it because you're so prideful. And he hasn't finished working in that particular area in your life. I don't know. But why why is it such an improper uh, way of thinking? Well, simply because of Jesus and who he is. You know, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect example of servanthood. He's the creator of the universe. And he didn't think for one second that he was above serving others, did he? John 13:12 and 17 So when he had washed their feet taken his garments and sat down again he said to them Do you know what I have done to you You call me teacher and lord and you say well for so am I or for so I am If I then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he sent who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. More general in nature, Luke six twenty seven and thirty one. We'll put that up. But I'm not going to read that. More general in nature. Verse 31, it says, And just as you want men to do to you, you all should, should do to them likewise. So you have, you know, the love among the brethren, the serving, serving and, and loving of the brethren, and also people in general, and people in your, in your realm, in your world. But if you do think that you're too good and, and you think you're something when you're nothing, what's actually happening is you're deceiving yourself. And how good we can be at that, deceiving ourselves. This is reference to that self-conceit we've been talking about. But you know what? It's a sin against common sense (laughs) to deceive yourself. If we think we're something when in reality we're nothing but sinners, it tells us that we're still leaning on our own devices of pride And conceit, and only Jesus could make the claim of perfect righteousness. He's the rock that you and I lean on. It is only through his righteousness that we can stand before an almighty God. And so, verse 4, now we, we shift gears a little. Having brought that to light, he says, Do this instead. He gives us an imperative. Do this instead. He says, but let each one examine his own work. If you want to be occupied in examining and scrutinizing things, well, you've got a lot to do right here in your own heart, don't you? Now, this may seem like grade school stuff. This may seem like stuff that you heard from your parents or grandparents all your life. But when does it stop being needed in the life of a believer? When does it go away? When we're in heaven, when there's no longer a battle between our carnal nature and our spirit. Amen? So he says, But let each one examine his own work. To examine is to test or to prove or to scrutinize his own works, his deeds, his conduct, not the works of the law, which he's been talking to the Galatians about a lot. No, the works of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ in your own heart. We have enough temptation swirling around us to keep us very busy judging and examining ourselves and our motives and our actions. When we fall into the bad habit of constantly looking at the faults of others, we actually let our guard down for what? Our own temptation and sin. You know, really, what goes around comes around. That, that's, a, that, I, that's not in the Bible anywhere, I don't think. But that certainly is a true statement. What goes around comes around. You've heard it. You've witnessed it. You've sensed it in your own life. He says, let each one examine his own work, protest and prove and scrutinize yourself, and then he will have... Rejoicing in himself alone. Interesting. You can actually rejoice in yourself if you sense, and you're, it's confirmed by God, that you are living a life to please him. But you don't get to talk about it. It's in yourself. Rejoicing is glorying. It's, it's a, the good sense of taking pride in something. Pride is not all totally bad when it's in the good sense in the right context. He says in himself alone, "Manos, if you were to boast, if you were, be careful with this one. If you were to boast, which you wouldn't, a genuine self-examination and applying the changes needed, that result can bring rejoicing in your life. So that if you could boast." If you were to boast, which you're not, you could actually do so for that day, for that hour, (laughs) for that short period of time in your life. How can you do that? Why? Knowing within yourself that you're pleasing God in your walk. But it's one step at a time, isn't it? How? By self-examination. You know, spiritual examination. Cancer that happens. Spiritual cancer that happens. So if you want a pure conscience before the Lord, if I want a pure conscience before the Lord, take the exam. Every day, take the exam. Live a life of repentance. You say, I don't want to live a life of repentance. Too bad. You're going to have to. Because of the war that's going on within you. It says, and then you will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. How do you measure yourself? How do you know that you're living a life that's pleasing to God? Well, you measure yourself against the word of God. Why is the word of God so important? Because it gets used in this situation. It's there to be used in this situation. And many others. And you don't measure yourself against others. Danger. Such a problem. Our society is stacked towards that direction. Wherever you go, you measure yourself against others. I'm not saying it's not good to have somebody, a coach, a mentor, somebody you look up to. I'm not saying that at all. But when it comes down to that spiritual self-examination, it's going to be through the Word of God. It's got to be. Because it's the only truth there really is. We deceive ourselves, information we receive, our day-to-day walk. This word is adequate, more than adequate, to, to give us everything we need in life and godliness. Amen? Amen? Lamentations 3.40 talks about, Let us search out and examine our ways and then turn back to the Lord. Verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, I thought you just said we were supposed to bear one another's burden, Pastor John. What, what's Paul doing here? Well, remember, we always need to know how to walk and chew gum. I keep saying that. I'm sorry if that's getting on your nerves. Yeah, if he says that one more time, I'm going to give him a stick of gum. Or I'm going to put some gum right where he walks in it. For each one shall bear his own load. Each one meaning everyone. It's, it's the, the idea that you will carry your own knapsack, your own haversack if you're from up north. They don't ever say that, by the way. But anyway, backpack. Those kids that go to school wear those backpacks. They, they make them so heavy, you know, they have to lighten them. Anyway. The bottom line is this. You and I, we all have responsibilities that cannot be pushed off on others. Why? Because we all stand before God by ourselves. You will not look over here and you won't blame over there. When you're standing before Jesus, you know, the beam of seat, the judgment seat of Christ, which is the judgment seat we're all going to sit under. And it's the only one you're going to want to sit under. Because the other judgment seat is the great white throne judgment, and then by then it's too late. Your life is lost for eternity. So we all have responsibilities. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Good reminder. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So when we look at others, excuse me, whom we fellowship and serve with you know, this is a letter to the church. Uh, we, spend a, we spend it every Sunday together, you guys. <laughs> we're family. I mean, whether we like it or not, right? We must look for ways to serve and even bear one another's burdens. But we not, must not look at their service or their gifting for flaws. Or shortcomings that might allow us to get puffed up. Instead, examine your own deeds, work on your flaws and shortcomings. We know that that will keep us occupied. A church or a fellowship is like a spiritual hospital, is it not? What is our attitude? What's my attitude? What's the attitude of our leadership here at the church? Are you one to exercise sort of the spirit of rejection or reconciliation to one another? Are you are you glad to see one another? Do visitors and guests pick up on that? Do they see that? Do they sense that? Paul says to restore, he says, those who are spiritual are to restore. Are you spiritual? In other words, are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in the fruit of the Spirit? Because Paul's instructing those that they might be ready. What's your attitude? What's my attitude every day that you get up and when you come into the fellowship on Sundays, wherever the Lord places you in your line of work? What's your attitude? What's my attitude? What is the law of Christ? Again, we ask, what is the law of Christ? Well, it's the law, first of all, of ministry. Matthew 20 and 28. Verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. You know, he would serve all, but not all would receive it. But he did give his life, and his death on the cross was adequate for any who would come to him. So it's the law of Christ is the law of ministry, but it's also, as we said earlier, the law of love. John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this you will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We come to verse 6 a little discussion. Paul's going to make a declaration, if you will, sort of a commandment. He's going to say, let him who is taught the word share. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches the word. This is our relationship with those who teach the word. Uh, This can be a difficult passage for pastors, I suppose. But it's God's instruction to us. The word is logos. this is the way of salvation. In today's context, it's, it's the Bible, those who teach the Bible. Then it would have been the, either the Old Testament and then the early letters of the gospel that were uh, being sent around to the churches. It says, "Let whom has taught the word, let him who has taught the word." So now this is to you. If you, if you don't teach the word, or well, we all do. We all receive the word from others. We're all being taught. But to you, he says, that we should, you should share and communicate. Now, to share means to come into fellowship or communion, to be a partner. You know, this is another aspect. You guys are all partners with those who teach at this church, myself and others who teach at this church. We're in Ephesians 4. That's one of the predominant um, uh, distinctives. I don't want to say distinctives. It should be common among the churches because Ephesians 4.11 says that God, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some to be pastor teachers. And so we partner, and it says to share in all good things with Him who teaches. So can I take that literally? No, just kidding. Because what he's talking about, good things, is material goods and riches. And I will say that you, as a church body, as a local fellowship, you take very good care of me, my family, and you take care of those who serve here. Him who teaches, that's, that's where you get the word, the English word, is a verbal teaching, this is an English word of catechism. I thought catechism was just a Catholic thing, but it's not. It's, a, uh, it's to inform, to teach, the children's ministry, ladies' ministry, here in the pulpit, Sundays and Wednesdays, to teach. Now, one writer put, uh, made a list, and I think it's a good list. Um, when you say there's a relationship between the pastor-teacher and the local fellowship, well, how, give, me, give me some examples of how that is a shared relationship. We talk about a shared relationship. Well, what does that mean? Well, for one, if you're taking notes, it means being present when the teacher teaches. Pastors love that one. Okay. Being attentive and learning what the teacher teaches. And a lot, that, a lot of that's got to do with the teacher's ability to teach. So there's going to be a whole lot of grace there, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Sharing in discussions of what the teacher teaches. This is how you partner. You share in discussions. You know, we fall into habit, all of us do, about the world and its cares and the worries and everything that's falling to pieces all around us. But are we sharing in the teaching of what's being taught from the Bible? Passing on what the teacher teaches. Participating with the teacher in his or her full ministry, supporting the teacher financially—I've already—I've already already mentioned that—and we are very thankful. I am very thankful and grateful for the support we receive. Encouraging others to come and learn from the teacher, and that's something that's that has to be developed and earned. I I was, you know, several of us were just in a. Pastors and Leaders Conference, and, and, and to sit uh, and hear pastors who had been pastoring for 25, 30, 40, 42 years, and to witness the, the way the Lord has worked through their ministry to their local congregations, and how powerful that is, and how humbling that is as a young pastor. You know, I'm, I'm a weird, okay, this is weird, okay, I'm an old guy who's a young pastor, I'm an old, older guy. I'll be 65 in, in November. I'm not scared to say that. I've been pastoring full-time for four years. Okay, so I am, I'm a strange duck. Okay? But to see the work that the Lord has done for those who have been faithful in teaching and how the Lord has blessed not just that man, but the community that they serve in is very humbling and very encouraging. And that's how you know it's from the Lord. Encouragement is a gift of the Spirit. Humble encouragement is when the Spirit's moving in our realm as Christians. And when you see that. It's not about the size of a church. So I'm thankful for you guys because you're partnering, partnering with us. You're partnering with me. Because, you know, as a young pastor the third pastor of this church, by the way, you guys know that, uh, a lot of times we're like a, a new church. We're like a plant. You, you'll see me up here leading worship, okay? you know That's not the long-term goal. I want people to know that. However, I do enjoy music. I'm a musician as well. But uh, my point is, as a smaller church, we people wear a lot of hats in a church like this. And when you look at a larger ministry... It's matured and uh, it's been you know, cultivated for 25, 30, 35 years. You see the fruit of now it's more spread out. And so I don't know what the Lord's going to do with us here. I just know that I am, I am and again, I don't like to talk a, a lot about me because this message isn't about me, but this relationship we have. And I am committed to continue to have a Calvary Chapel here in Elizabeth City. You know, there's enough other types of churches to go around and spread about. But I believe the Lord desires that there will be a Calvary Chapel here in Elizabeth City. So I am committed to seeing that move forward and the things that we do. And you, obviously, by your attendance, feel the same way. So thank you for partnering. Amen. Amen. The law of the harvest. Now, Paul is going to say, for those who would... Maybe start to go, you know, I'm not into this, what you just said, Pastor John, what Paul wrote. Paul now challenges, and he he gives us a spiritual principle. Paul's going to reinforce the command or precept he has just given with a very important principle. He says in verse 7, Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. To be deceived, again, is to be led into error. To mock is to, you know, turn your nose up at, to sneer at, to treat with contempt. You see, how you and I view the role of those who teach God's Word is key. It's a key thing. It's a key role. Uh, How our our attitude. Now, if, if we take the position to say, and it's been—it's being said many times now in our world as church attendance continues to decline, unfortunately. But you know, there's always a chance for revival in some areas. Are seeing great revivals? If you say, "Oh, I don't need to sit under a pastor or a Bible teacher," you know, I—I c- I can read the Bible by myself. Uh, a folk singer named John Prine had a song, you know, try to find Jesus on your own. You guys may have heard that one. Um, And there are people who take that position. They're trying to find Jesus on their own, and they're taking themselves out of a fellowship. They've taken themselves out of the body of Christ. And Paul says, you know what? You're deceiving yourself if you're doing that. Because God's not mocked. You say, I don't need to share or support my local church or missionaries. And if that were your attitude, Paul would say to you, don't be deceived, because God is not mocked. Because when we come become deceived and we mock God, it's to our own demise, and why? Because of what's known as the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. The proverbial saying, for whatever a man sows and the choice of seed is yours, whether it's corn or weed or cotton, whatever it is, you know, we live, we have a constant reminder here in our area because of the farming, it's a farming community. Whatever that farmer puts in the ground is who, what he's going to get. So whoever, whatever a man sows or plants, that he will also reap, And it's based again on the choice of seed, the choice of the crop, and there's no going back. Because you're also going to harvest it. Hosea 8, 7. Talking about sowing and reaping. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it should produce... Aliens would swallow it up. Now, you guys didn't know aliens were in the Bible, right? You didn't know that. Well, now you do. Or you... well, how about Job 4.8? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So the spiritual principle, the proverbial saying, he repeats it in verse 8. He says, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. You know the battle that's going on. The spiritual battle between our carnal nature and the flesh. If you feed the flesh, what do you reap? Corruption. Only carnal concerns now come into mind. The more you pour into your own carnal needs, and I'm not saying you don't eat, you don't clothe, you don't take care of your family. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where your treasure lies and what you're going to reap. You're going to reap carnal concerns. In fact, he says you're going to reap corruption, which means... Eternal death. You know that sin list, it says, for those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God. Now he contrasts, but he who who sows to the Spirit, planting to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so we know that to be true as our salvation But it also is true in our continuous walk here prior. Our sanctification, if you will. Both presently and everlasting. Leon Morris writes this. He says, it signifies, sowing to the Spirit, it signifies concentrating on what will produce the fruit of the Spirit. starts with love. It means seeing our spiritual life as more important than our secular life. And devoting time and energy accordingly. Both presently and everlasting. Presently, John 10.10. This is what Jesus would say about our present walk. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He's talking about our walk here in this life. Sowing to the Spirit. But again, we have to be careful where we sow. What we, what we pour our energy and our strength into. Because we can't change the harvest, you know. A lot of times, that's money. That's money things in our spending habits. And money sown continuously to the flesh will reap a harvest of corruption. Because that money's gone and never can be reclaimed. The extreme example is, uh, you know, a, a compulsive gambling, or you know. Drugs where you're just pouring money into this habit and you can never get it back. And you see the results of that over a course of time. It reaps corruption, a harvest of corruption. And so Paul's saying, putting it in your, he's talking about your spiritual bank account, if you will. You know, that's why partnering with your local church and being supportive of your local church, and not just financially, not just financially, but in participating and sharing in the ministry... So, the question is, is, what is your spiritual investment? Everybody, you, you know, you might get the question, what's your investment strategy? And today you might say, I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, it didn't work out all that well, right? The returns are me- meager. But what is your spiritual investment strategy? Do you have a plan to sow into your own spirit? and to the God who lives within you? Do you have a plan for being fed the Word, and and not just on Sunday, but your daily routine, your time to be in the Lord? You know, we have so much technology now, the earbuds. uh, Christian radio that I mentioned, God's Way Radio, you can download the app. You can get constant teaching, constantly being fed the Word. You say, I can't take all that. I need some Fox News. I need to hear some Tucker. Do you really? Because I don't know. Every time I listen to Tucker, I don't come away too happy. I'm not judging. Just saying. <laughs> he's a nice guy. I, you know a lot of what he's been anyway. What's your spiritual investment strategy? Second Corinthians nine six. But this I say: He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The law of the harvest. <coughs> wrapping it up, we see here in verse 9. So now, what, what do you do? Well, you, you do good is what you do. Let's do good. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good. You know, it's easy for you and I to become discouraged. Why? Because it is, there is so much opposition to the message of the cross, the gospel, in this world, that it can be very discouraging. And you know what? The good you're trying to do is hard to accomplish because why? That spiritual battle that's going on. So I, you know, again, let's not grow weary of doing that. Let's not grow tired of doing that. The popular saying, you know, he's crushing it, right? You guys have heard that. He's crushing it. They apply it to all things now, but it started out with this guy, Gary Vanderchuk. These were code words for making lots of money, crushing or killing the opposition, if you will, as a measure of success and wealth. That doesn't fly in the law of Christ, ministry and love. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. The only thing getting crushed, hopefully, is you know our knees, as we're before him. <laughs> you know? Don't grow weary. In other words, don't lack courage. The Lord will provide that. Don't lack courage. While doing good, what does good mean? Well, it's it's beautiful. Well, here's a blue blue letter Bible definition. Good means something beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life and hence praiseworthy. It's also morally good. It's a noble work, something good. One uh, commentator said, you know, we've been talking about works. And again, now we're having to separate works unto salvation, which we bring none, and then the works of sanctification, which we need to bring. And so, again, we're, we're realizing we can't work our way into salvation, but the Lord has a work for us as we're filled in the Spirit, as we sow into that spiritual bank account, as we grow in the Lord. He says, here's a promise, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Due season means the proper time which is known to the Lord. If we do not lose heart, to lose heart is to sort of dissolve, to weaken, to be exhausted, to kind of just melt, you know, and, and, and it's something that we need strength. Psalm twenty seven fourteen. we talked about it this morning in our prayer. Psalm twenty seven fourteen says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, show two things you do, and then his promise, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. When it seems impossible, when there's a, a battle going on, okay, a dispute with a brother or sister in the, in the body, wait on the Lord, because he's going to strengthen your heart. So if we're not planting or sowing seeds of faith, Warren Wiersbe, he says, through prayer, we will faint as well. It's been said, Quoting Wearsby, prayer is the spiritual life, what breathing, or excuse me, prayer is to the spiritual life. and you know, on another plug for our prayer groups. What breathing is to the physical life. If you stop breathing, you're going to faint. Breathe. Finally, do good to all. You know, we're not just a a happy little club so we're going to say we want to do to all as we have opportunity as we have seasons let us do good to all besides teaching the word or giving of material resources to just do good to people but especially to those who are of the household of faith yes the lord the lord gives you and i permission to treat each other special he does Right here, you just said it. The family. Now in Paul's day, especially because Christian converts, Jewish converts to Christianity, it would cost them everything. And you see this now in the persecuted church all around the world. You're you're down to nothing is left but the family of the household of faith. It could cost you everything. But that doesn't take away the commandment, that, really, the the exhortation that Paul gives us. Especially be kind to one another. So as we close today, what do we see? What do we learn? We, We learned of the law of Christ. Love. And we need to exercise it. The law of Christ. We need to be ready to bear another's burdens. After and by, this is continuous. We're, we're ready to bear one another's burdens, but we also continually examine our own work. It keeps us humble, our own walk with the Lord. We talked about our relationship with the teachers of the Word. Sharing in the teaching ministry here at Calvary Chapel. Be present. You know, t- Take notes if they're worthy of taking. Invite others to join you. And finally, the law of the harvest. Be generous. Invest in your own spiritual well-being. Apply the biblical principles to your lives. Don't lose heart. And don't forget to be good to one another. Amen? Before we do our closing song, let's stand again for our final prayer together. If you would, please. Before that, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time this morning, we ask, Lord God, that we've been... I pray, Lord, I pray that we've all been equipped and not whipped. That we've all been taught something that we can apply. Help us, Lord, to do that. Encourage our hearts. Let us encourage one another's hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.